Hello. And welcome to a very spooky episode of Thursday the 31st. Oh, ho, ho. that's uh, not really the name of the podcast. No, we are Saturday the 14th. And this is Halloween. Yeah, uh, a very happy Halloween to all of you. We have a little special episode for you today. We do. And we hope you guys are having a great time, whether you are getting ready to go out or are staying in and celebrating on your own, whatever you're doing. We hope you're having a great time. And it's super spooky and that maybe can sit back and watch one of our favorite uh, Halloween-esque movies. Yes, we are talking about the amazing Tim Burton movie, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. You say it again, and then he'll come. Battle guys. <laughs> so pop some popcorn. If you haven't already seen this movie, uh, put it on, um, cuddle up with your pet or significant other or a friend or just a big soft blanket and uh, enjoy because honestly, it's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. You know what does not sound appetizing? What? Beetlejuice. That's true. It doesn't. It does make me think about bug juice, like the camp drink, which is really just Kool-Aid. I don't know. We never called it bug juice. We just called it Kool-Aid mm. growing up well, where I went to camp. Maybe mine had actual bugs I in it. I actually never figured out why that Disney show was called Bug Juice. Yeah, it's because people, they, people called it that at camp. Not at YMCA camp. Well... They did at the weird Christian camp that I went to one year. I was going to say, they're too busy celebrating the young Christian men. Ah. But apparently that's not true because your Christian camp called it that. Well, we weren't a YMCA camp, though. We were just a regular Christian church camp. Less young, less male? Uh, Pretty young, but about 50% male. Honestly, ours was too. I did a horseback riding and uh, canoeing or kayaking camp specifically because they had like different things that you could do and um i got stuck out on a lake on a kayak because i went out in a boat with two very small other girls and neither of them could paddle very hard and the wind caught the side of our kayak and just pushed us all the way out and they had to come save us on a speedboat i once found a battery in the middle of the woods and i was like what happens if we throw a battery against a rock repeatedly you know what's inside of a battery battery acid and cotton so this wet cotton comes out. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I was like, mom, look, there's wet cotton inside of the battery. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and that is my camp story. Anyway, camp's great. Send your kids. Um, and let them drink bug juice, but don't let them summon Beetlejuice. A good message. Yeah. I think so. Um, so shall we get into this movie, which I'm sure everyone has seen, but I had actually not seen since I was a child. You know, I don't think I'd seen it in a long time. Um, but what I realized is... Because I watched it a lot when I was a kid. Like, a lot. And I was like, okay, well, I remember all the highlights, but I'm sure there are moments I don't remember. No, every moment of this goddamn movie is a highlight. Like, it's so good. Oh, it's incredible. I only remember, and I don't know if it's because I didn't watch much of it or all of it or what, I only remember the um, wedding scene. Only the wedding scene? Only the wedding scene. That was one of those. I was like, oh, I forgot that happened. No, that's the only part of it that I remembered. Um, I remember... I forgot about Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin being characters in this movie. What? So at the beginning... They're the best. <laughs> at the beginning when they're having, like, their cute little, like, stuff, I was, like, I was talking to Tim and I was like, you know, I just love them so much. I know this movie isn't, like, about them, but I wish it was. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's 100% about them. I forgot, and maybe it was because I was probably, like, 10 last time I saw this, but about how attractive Alec Baldwin is. Yo! Like, for real, what? he has aged badly. <laughs> so, I think of Alec Baldwin as he is now. I'm like, okay, he's, like, a comedic actor. He's really charismatic. I mostly honestly think of him um, on 30 Rock. Sure. That's my default yeah, view of him. Yeah, I think that's him. how most people think of him. And so going back and being like, oh, hello there. 
Yeah, he was like straight. It took me a second to realize it was him because his face is just so much thinner in this movie than it is in it now. Is. And again, I wouldn't say he aged badly. He's not no, like I guess ugly. True. He's just not like what he was. I think that there's also too much cultural baggage at this point around Alec Baldwin being an unhinged asshole anger is machine. he really i don't know anything about him yeah he just loves to he's a very angry man in my understanding i did not know that um and i think that that has sort of uh colored my perspective on him that's understandable but you see him here and he's like what 40 and you're like oh, okay probably not even he's probably like no he's probably in his 30s, 30s yeah. yeah early 30s you're I'd like say. okay he was like i mean probably still an asshole then but like you don't know he looks like a different guy yeah i mean to be fair this was like 30 years ago that's true. Yeah. He might have gotten worse since then and been Probably. fine at this point. I feel like once you've lived for a while, you just get angry at the world. So, yeah. So, in addition to a young, hot, potentially less angry Alec Baldwin... Um, there's also a young, hot Gina Davis. Who probably was not angry at all. I would... I mean... No, she looks so pure and so happy. Honestly, yeah. the two of them just seem like such couple goals. Dude, she is so good in so many movies in the 80s. Like, I just watched The Thing. Nope. I just watched The Fly a couple of weeks ago. And her and Jeff Goldblum are, like, the sexiest movie couple was I've ever seen. Was that in the 80s? Seen. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was 90s. No, I think that's the 80s. I don't know. Because they were married. They met on that side, and then oh, they got married. Or they were dating, and then they got married, and yeah. You know, I just remember that there was a version of The Fly with Jeff Goldblum that I saw in the 90s. So I think I just assumed it was in the 90s. He's, like, Cause when I for saw it, half of it, very hot, and then for the other half of it, very... the worst nightmare you can imagine. <laughs> Not... But when he's still hot, he holds a uh, a baboon in a very loving a embrace. Baboon? One, a, ba- a baboon? A uh, baboon in one scene, which I find endearing. I was told we're not allowed to talk about baboons anymore on this podcast. By who? Everyone. The world. That's fair. iTunes wrote us a very stern letter saying too much baboon talk. <laughs> um, Luckily, this, Google doesn't care. <laughs> this movie came out in 1988, so... She was still in her peak prime oh, she being so amazing pretty. in 80s movies. And then uh, there is the charismatic Michael Keaton. Holy shit. He is unbelievable in this. I had a weird crush on him as a child. I don't know what that says about me personally. No, so I'm pretty sure I did too. Into it. Um, yeah, I think that's <laughs> normal, which is weird. Yeah, he's just so charming. In, like, a bad way in this movie. But, like, in general, Michael Keaton is, like, very Michael charismatic. Michael Keaton is very charming and very charismatic. He, like, charismatic. manages to make I mean, he went from, a little charismatic. He went from this to Batman. Yeah. And he was, like, Bruce Wayne in that. So, obviously, he had some charm. Yeah. He can't have a non-charming person play Batman. No, nah, and he's got those eyebrows. Those are fun. I don't know. They're kind of white and yeah, green in true. this. Um, it also stars the amazing Winona Ryder. Oh, she's so good. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, who is also amazing. Criminally underrated. Oh, my God. Uh, Delia Dietz. Delia Dietz. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, who is no longer doing time for child porn possession, but I do feel like we need to bring that up every time we talk about him. Oh, no, wait. Who is that? Uh, the dad. Oh. Yeah. Wait, has he been in other stuff that we've... Yeah, he was the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay, so he's um, the one who I always think yeah, the other guy think is. Yeah, that, um, what's-his-face from uh, Silence of the Lambs is him. Yes, yeah. I do always think that the guy from Silence of the Lambs And I'm always like, no, Jeffrey him. Jones was a pedophile, is a pedophile, and now this time we're talking about the actual pedophile. The man himself. He was also one of the less enjoyable parts of this movie anyway. Yeah, it could have been He's just kind of boring and trying yeah. to make a lot of money. Yeah. Apparently in the uh, Beetlejuice musical, because that's a thing, mm-hmm. um, it's mostly about how much Lilia hates her dad. Nice. At least according to the one song that keeps coming up on my Spotify musicals playlist. Because what is I listen- it called? Is it called I Hate My Dad? No, it's called uh, Say My Name, oh. I think. And it's about uh, 
this one Beetlejuice is trying to convince her to say his name three times, and it's for her, it's all because she wants to get revenge on her dad. Oh. Um, and it also stars Glenn Shaddix as Otho, who is, like... He's one of the best He's amazing. He's so funny. He was a character actor in, like, everything for a while. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff. And now he's not. Yeah. He's passed away since, I believe. So oh, well, that would that be a good reason why. why. Um, and apparently they played um, Deo at his funeral. Oh, Which I find very sweet. Yeah. Um, and, of course, this movie was directed by uh, Tim Burton, as everyone knows. Oh, he's so good. And this was one of his earlier ones. Yeah, back in, like, the peak Tim Burton period, like, when he was, like, putting out really good, original, innovative, cool shit before he just, like, was like, I don't know, put Johnny Depp in it. It's, there's a spiral. It's, it's purple and it's black. What do you want from me? Yeah. Which I feel like is where he is now. But this was, I think, the first purple-black spiral movie. Yeah, so, it, like, it was, you know, you can tell it's the original. Yeah, because it went Frankenweenie. Mm-hmm. Which he did at Disney. Yeah. And then Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. And, and then this then got him this. on his fun goth streak. Yeah, because he did, like, Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. He did yeah. all that stuff after this, I believe. Right. Um, and this, I think a lot of people think was written by him because it seems like it should have been. It seems like it should have been. But it was actually originally written by Mal- uh, Michael McDowell with, like, he co-wrote it with Larry Wilson, um, and then heavily rewritten by, an, by a guy named Warren Scarron. I mean, it needed to be rewritten based on the original. Yeah, basically, um, Michael McDowell came up with the concept, and then Warren Scarron, like, made it fun. Which yeah. we'll get into in a little more detail later, but I think it's important to mention them both, even though one is technically a rewriter and one is the, you know, original In writer. this case, because of the extensive rewrites, I agree. Um, so this movie... Was not a, a tiny budget movie. This is one of those old uh, mid-budget movies that they don't really make anymore. Yeah, so this was made for about fifteen million dollars, and one million of that was dedicated purely just to special effects, which are so fun and weird and great. They are really weird. Yeah, and, and a it, lot of them are practical. Yeah, a lot of stop motion, a lot of you know, not a lot of CGI to be honest. Yeah, um, and it made back uh, seventy-four point two million dollars, so it did well. Not bad. Um, so the movie opens in a adorable little New England town. Oh my god, it's so cute. It's so cute. And we have, again, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, a young married couple. Total babes. Named Barbara and Adam. Wait, Maitland. Maitland, yes. Maitland. And uh, they're spending like a vacation hanging out in this like, really cute little Connecticut home. Yeah, they're doing like a staycation because he like they want to renovate their home. And Adam has like this little miniature that he's working on that's just a miniature version of the town. Yeah, it's really cute. It's adorable. And And they have, like, this nightmare real estate agent. Yeah, there's this one. She's, like, a neighbor. Or, no, she's family, because she mentions later. And she just, like, keeps coming by and trying to convince them to sell because the house is too big for them. Yeah, and And she's like, oh, I sent a picture of it to a guy in New York. And Barbara's like, stop it. Why would you do that? Yeah, she's like, I don't want to sell this house. Yeah. And they wanted to pay... $260,000 $260,000 for this house. The house that was too big for two people to live in alone. <sighs> oh, the 80s. I, I cry inside. Things were so different. A house that is perfect for two people is four times that in LA. Yeah. Although, to be honest, in... <laughs> okay. I actually did look up what property costs are in Corinth, Vermont, which is where this movie was shot. Um... And you can buy, like, a good-sized house for, like, $300,000. Okay, that's not bad. So it's not, like, if you're talking rural New England, that's, like, a different ballgame from L.A. 
But still. I still, it hurts me inside. Pitching that as, like, such a big amount of money is, like, Ugh. come on. Yeah. Um, but they decide to go into town. Yeah, they're like, Barbara Jane, and Adam. get out of here. Go away. And on their drive back, I believe, they see a dog in the middle of like, this bridge, and so they swerve to avoid it and go through the wall. And there's this weird little, like, funny scene almost. Yeah. Where, like, they're kind of, like, perched precariously, and the dog is standing on this, like, wood plank that's holding them up, and the dog just walks away, and the car falls into the water. Yeah, so they fall through the covered bridge and into the water, and they... Die. die. They drown. So they go home to their house. And things are weird. It's not so much that they go home, that they just, like, are home. They are home. home, yeah. Um... And things are weird. Like, there's a fire burning that they didn't know about. Neither of them can remember how they got there. They're both really cold. And, like... And uh, they're like, that's weird. So Adam decides to, like, go outside and immediately finds, like, a sand-filled world with, like, sandworms. Yeah. And he's like, this is not where I wanted to be. But Barbara pulls him back inside. After, like, a minute. Yeah. But uh, he thinks he's been gone for, like, less than a minute. But she says he's been gone for, like, hours. Yeah. So something weird is happening. And they go upstairs um, to the attic and look in the mirror as they're, like, holding these toy horses. And they're like, oh, wait, we're not there. Yeah. And then they look over onto a chair and there is the handbook for the recently deceased. And they realize they died. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Which is interesting how, because, like, is this movie PG? PG-13? It's PG. Yeah, that's what I thought. They have, like, the most PG, like, death scene I've ever seen. It was not originally like that. I know. But it's just amazing, like, how you can have, like, oh, these people died. They're discovering that they're dead and still have a movie be PG. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, and I think that it helps that they play into the, like, oh, we're just here and we don't know how we got here thing. Like, you yeah. don't see anything other than them go into the, the lake or the river. That's true. And um, it's not like they have any marks on them because they drowned. Right. So they're in totally fine condition. Yeah. Um... So, shortly after this happens, their terrible real estate agent relative immediately sells the house to the family from New York City that she was talking about. Yeah. How um, long do you think it actually took her to take, make that phone call? Probably not long at all. No. I would guess maybe maybe after the funeral. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so, it consists of Charlie Dietz, Charles Dietz, uh, who is a real estate developer, his wife, Delia Dietz, who is a sculptor. Yes, and she, she is played by... terrifying sculptures. Catherine O'Hara, and she is completely insane in this entire movie, and I oh adore my God, I love her. her. And then, of course, the ultimate teen goth movie heroine, Lydia Dietz. Oh, she's so good. She's incredible. And uh, Delia is not her mom. Delia is her stepmom. Right. Um, and Lydia wants to be, like, a photographer... She's really cool. She hates her parents. They talk at some point about, like, oh, well, we can build you a dark room. She's like, my entire life is a dark room. Oh, my God. Amazing. But also, if your parents offer to build you a dark room, take them up on it. Those things yeah, are so real. expensive. Um, and so, like, immediately, Delia, along with Otho, who was her um, fashion designer. designer slash best friend, as far as I can tell, because she's the only person, he's, like, the only person that she ever talks to in this movie, other than... I don't know. They're, like, always hanging out. She has, like, an agent who doesn't like her very much. Right. And And her husband doesn't seem like he likes her very much. Not at all. And Otho seems to enjoy her. And so they completely renovate. And they're, like, taking this cute old Victorian farmhouse and turning it into, like, this, like, weird 80s modern art house. 
Yeah, they add, like, this weird area on the roof that's, like, open for the sculptures. Yeah, and I gotta be honest with you, I know that they're supposed to be, like, shitty and tacky, but I kind of love it. I kind of do, too. Like, it's fun. How do I get that giant, like, claw-y I know, sculpture in my I want apartment? that. Um... But yeah, uh, Adam and Barbara aren't taking too, too well to this. No, because they liked their house, and their whole goal was that they were going to fix it up and make it a nice home for yeah. them and the child that they wanted to have. Um, and so they decide to try and scare them, so they'll like hide in a closet, like hanging, or just... Like, at one point, Charles opens a door, and it's like, D- um, Barbara has a big knife, and she's holding Adam's head, which she's like ripped off his body. Oh, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. And it's... Just like they're not, they don't see it. They're not reacting to it at all. And so they check the book and the book is like, yeah, most uh, living people won't acknowledge the dead. They won't see the dead at and all. And I like this because uh, then Barbara's like, does it say they won't or they can't? He's like, I don't know. It just says they won't. Right. So it's very ambiguous. Yeah. Um, but then one day as the construction is going on, Lydia looks up into an attic window and she sees Adam and Barbara up there. Yeah, and she they, sees them like looking out the window. And they see that she sees them because she takes a picture of them. And they're like, oh shit, that girl saw us. So she's, and we can talk to her. She goes back inside, um, but the real estate agent shows up and hands her like a skeleton key to the house. So it's a yeah. key that will open any door. Speaking of movies we should do in the future, we should totally do Skeleton Key with Kate. Actually, I like that movie, Kate Hudson. Yeah. It's a pretty good horror. I mean, it's been a really long time since I've seen it, so it could be worse than I remember, but I enjoyed it. Um, But anyway, uh, so Lydia gets this key, and she goes upstairs to the attic to use it, but uh, Adam and Barbara don't want to talk to her. Right. So So they're like, hold the door closed and prevent her from coming in. And while they're doing that, a TV commercial appears. Yeah, and it's this sort of like used car salesman type um, commercial for. Uh, Beetlejuice, a bio-exorcist. Beetlegeist. Beetlegeist. His name is not spelled in the same way as it is in the movie title. Right, it's the name of the star in in Orion's Belt. So it's B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. I did not Um, know that was the name of the star. I want to change my name to Beetlejuice. You should do that. I feel like it's a very original and fun name. Would you do your first name, your last name, or would you just do Beetlejuice? I'd have one name. And it would be Beetlejuice? Yes. Perfect. Um, so they see this and they're like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what's up with that. Like, maybe we should try to contact him, but it doesn't give a number or anything like that. So how are we supposed to contact this guy? Um, and so they're kind of scratching their heads about that. And in the meantime, they're trying to figure out how to like, what their next step is. So they and look through they, the like, push the key out of the door. Yeah. And Lydia's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So they find out that you can make a passage to like the netherworld by drawing like a door on a wall and knocking three times and knocking three times and it works and they go on in and they're in a waiting room and while uh they're doing this lydia gets into the room and finds the book and reads it yeah and so the afterlife is all like they there's like a receptionist miss argentina who's like talking about how shitty it is and like she killed herself and she was like honestly if i knew how bad the afterlife is i never would have had my little accident and like she holds up her wrist and she never said she killed herself i mean she but it's has very obvious. two slits on her wrist oh so. yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. pg-13 movie, or yeah. pg movie yeah um there's like a there are weird people in the waiting room yeah there's like a guy with a shrunken head there's a lady who's cut in half there's like all this sort of weird shit happening there and so she's like well, do you have an appointment? And they're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, if you want to see Juno, you need to have an appointment. And they're like, who's Juno? And they're like, your caseworker. You only have so many vouchers to see you her. You have three 
vouchers and they're each like for an hour yeah and that's all you get forever and so finally they get through to see juno and juno tells them that they have to stay in that house for 125 years before they can go anywhere else and they ask for help in terms of getting the people out of the house um and juno says like well that's kind of your problem deal with it scare them get them out yeah and they're like well we saw this ad for this guy named Betel Geis, and she's and like she's don't. like no 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 don't do that she's like apparently he was like her assistant and he got like he really fucked things up he decided to become a bio exorcist right and now he just does his own thing but like if you invite him in he can be really really difficult and just make that and he was actually like cursed yeah so uh by like the other ghosties and ghoulies they're like yo he's the worst we're gonna curse him so he can't like fuck with people anymore yeah so she's like don't do that and they're like well we'll see and then they go on their way and so they decided to uh try scaring again Right. They try to wear sheets and scare Charles, but he's like, he thinks it's Lydia. And he's like, you're like, Delia's going to be pissed off that you like cut up her sheets and like slams the door in their face. And so then they go and try and scare Delia. But she's taking a Valium. Yep. She, or as uh, Lydia puts it, she's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, she's high as balls and slash asleep, passed out. And so they're like, what the hell? So they go into the hallway and Lydia's there. And she's like, I can see you guys. And she starts, like, taking pictures of them. And they're like, wait, what? And she's like, okay. So it says in the handbook that people tend to ignore the strange and the usual. But I myself am strange and unusual. Yeah, she, and she says it, like, looking up dramatically, like, I myself am strange and unusual. And it's so good. She is amazing. And also, like, if you met her in real life, you'd be like, shut up. But in a movie, she's incredible. I think when I was, like... And I wanted to be her. Oh, I would have been exactly like her if I could have as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. As an adult, if you met a teenager like that, you'd be like, why are you like this? But as a teen, you're like, she's the coolest girl in the world. I still kind of think she's one of the coolest girls in the world. I mean, yeah. She's just a little, like, much. Oh, she's definitely a little much. Every cool teen is a little much. And so Lydia, like, tries to convince her mom that the house is haunted, or her stepmom that the house is haunted. She's like, look at these pictures I took, and... Yeah, because they want her to help convince her family. Right. They're like, she'll just help, and then they'll leave, and that'll be fine. But her mom completely ignores her, or her stepmom. So they're like, okay, time to call in the big guns, I guess. And they summon Beetlejuice, which you do by saying his name three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Don't do it. He'll come here. Okay. All right. Um... And so they meet, he, he's like at a, they basically get him out of his graveyard or out of his grave. They have to dig him up yeah. through like all the plaster and weird yeah. stuff or like cardboard because he's living in their miniature. Right. <laughs> so they get him out of the grave and he is like already too much straight from the job. Oh, he's a lot. Yeah. He is like goofing around, but in like a very aggressive way. He's like really pervy and like aggressive towards barb and so they're like we're not gonna do this anymore and barbara says like home 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 which gets them out of the uh miniature yeah and he's mad because they don't want to hire him he's like what the fuck so they're like you know what we're just gonna do this ourselves and the deeses have this dinner party um with delia's agent with otho with some of their other like cool new york friends it's like all the friends who would like come out to this distant reach of connecticut otho and his wife yeah, so Otho's wife is, like, this really kind of stylish, cool-looking, like, Asian woman. Unfortunately, the only woman of color in this entire movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Burton has not historically done an amazing job with that. And this didn't really help. No, it didn't. Um, 
But it's this very trendy group of people. They have their trendy yeah. well, it's the shrimp them, cocktails. And then it's just the agent and mm-hmm. the agent's wife. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no one else there. Right. They don't have very many friends. No, they really don't. So as they're sitting around the dinner table, they're talking about... They talked about something about a haunt. Someone mentioned something about like a house and like weird attractions in the area. Yeah, because um, Charles wants to kind of turn this town into something. Like, yeah, he, he wants, wants to real estate develop it. He wants to make money. Um, and so Delia's like, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about... And then sort of freezes up and then starts singing Deo by... Well, uh, well what happened? She, well, Lydia goes into like, well, this house is haunted. Right. And they're like, no, it's not. Like, why would you ever do that? And then she starts singing Deo. Yeah. Uh, Delia, when telling Lydia to shut up, mm-hmm. starts singing Deo. And then the entire family and guests start joining in, except for Lydia, who's just like watching and yeah. laughing. And it's obvious they're being controlled by somebody else because she is not singing Deo. No. The song Deo is being played out of her mouth. Yeah. Which is incredible. It's an amazing scene. You should watch the whole movie. But if you don't, and if you only just watch one scene, scene, just watch that scene. And then the very YouTube. last scene of the movie. Those are like yeah. the most important scenes in this movie. It's incredible. Um, and so they're dancing and they're singing. Um, their and shrimp turns into hands and like grabs their faces. And pulls them down. Yeah. Yeah. And so Adam and Barbara are like, oh, hell yeah. We've scared the shit out of them. Like, they're going to leave now. And they're like, that was awesome. Yeah. And so they sent Lydia up to the attic and they're like, hey, they want you to come down so they can talk to you. Yeah. And they refuse. Yeah. But then Beetlejuice, who is still there. Well, first they're like, okay, well, we're going to go upstairs and like open the door. Yeah. And like force them to talk to us. And then, yeah, the banister. Turns into a big old snake. A big old snake with a really scary face on it. Yeah. Because it's Michael Keaton's scary Beetlejuice face. Yeah. But and in it like, like a stop motion form. The dad and is like, I'm interested in your daughter. And like, like I'm all here sorts for of, your daughter, Chuck. Yeah. Like all sorts of weird shit. And they like, basically like everyone gets the fuck out. And they're like, this is a little too much. Yeah. That I mean, to be fair, it's a lot. Um, but based off of this, instead of being like, fuck that, let's move, my banister turned into a snake, Charles is like, let's turn this place into a tourist location. Um, and then, like, there's some, like, spooky stuff here. It'll be great. People can come out and see it. And he talks to his boss, Maxie Dean. And Maxie is like, okay, well, you have to prove to me that the ghosts exist because just your story about, like, what you saw at the, uh, party doesn't really, like, do it for me. And, um... Delia Dietz's agent, Bernard, like, by the end of the party is like, nothing even happened. You're a flake. Don't talk to me. Just focus on your stupid, save your, save your stupid scary shit for your sculptures and, like, pieces yeah. out. So, like, even though he was also possessed, he just, like, brushes it off. But that night when they had gotten possessed, Otho had found the handbook for the recently deceased. Yes. And he's like, I can figure out a way to summon these guys. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, so we'll do a seance. And he summons Adam and Barbara. But it turns out... It's not a seance. It's, it's like, an exorcism. Yeah. So. And because um, they use the wedding clothes and they like appear and they start to like die and wither away. Yeah. Um, and so Lydia is like, shit, this is not what I wanted to have happen. Like she really likes uh, the Maitlands. They get along really well. And they kind of think of her as like a daughter they couldn't have. Yeah. It's a really like, sweet relationship. Th- there's a point where she like wants to also be a ghost. She tells them that she wants oh, to yeah, like die so that she, she can be a ghost. Yeah. And uh, Barbara's like, well, it's not better. Like it's worse after like you shouldn't want that at but all. She wants to be with them. I know. And it's sweet. But, so, but also don't. So Lydia, she actually, there's a scene where she met Beetlejuice earlier because he almost convinced her to summon him. Right. Um, 
And so she goes over. She's like, can you help them? He's like, yeah. She's like, great, do it. He's like, okay, well, you have to summon me. But also, I want out of here permanently. And the only way I can get out of here, out of here permanently is if I get married. So you have to agree to marry me. And she's like, sure, whatever. Yeah. And she's so like, she says his name three times. Mm-hmm. And, and then he springs into action. And he saves the Maitlands. But he, like, pushes them out into, like, he... Um, First, he turns into, like, a giant, like, carnival tent. And yeah, And he does the whole, weird. like, attention Kmart shoppers. <laughs> and his arms roll out yeah. and turn into, like, giant hammers. That like, he does, like, the whole, like, thing where you hit the plate and, like, the thing goes up and hits the bell at the top of the, the, yeah. the thing. You know what I'm, the, the carnival. Yeah, yeah, the, like, strength test. Thing. Yeah, the carnival yeah. strength test. So he had, does that with, like, people and the people go shooting up. Yes, they go right up through the ceiling. Yep. And um, then he, uh... Just does some other weird shit. And he, like, ends up banishing um, Barbara to the Sandworm place. And he puts Adam well, first in the he, little he town. does save them. That's true. He does save them, but then they're trying to stop the wedding from happening. Yeah, and, and so, so he, he, like, pushes gets them in out. his tux. He snaps. He puts Lydia in, like, a red and black wedding dress, which is pretty cool. It is very cool. And he's get, he transforms the fireplace into this really cool, like, arch that a alien minister dude pops out of. Yeah. And they start doing the whole wedding process. Yeah. And Adam and Barbara are trying to banish Beetlejuice by saying his name again three times. Mm -hmm. But he keeps, like, stopping them. Yes. And uh, now that the wedding is actually happening and he's, like, banished Barbara and Adam, um, Lydia is, like, trying to go back on it. And he, like, covers up her mouth and, like, says, you know, uses her exact voice to be like, gosh, I sure can't wait to marry this guy. I love my guy so much. Like, all this, you know... Like, he's taking the vows for her and stuff like that. Um, and Barbara finally, like, rides in on a sandworm. Yeah, because he had banished her to the desert with the sandworms. Right. But he calls it Saturn at some point in time. Yeah. But I don't know if it's actually supposed to be Saturn. I don't know either. It looks like Dune. Yeah, it does, except, like, cooler sandworms. Weirder, yeah. Um, but she rides it on a sandworm, which then eats him. Yes. And so then we see, like, a nice ending, and the Dietzes and the Maitlands are, like, living together in the house, and... We see Lydia coming home from school in her, like, school uniform, and she's picked up paints for Adam so he yeah. can work on his miniatures. Yeah. And they ask how, like, her tests went. And it really seems like they've kind of become her parents. Like, you also see her dad and Delia around, but, like... Barbara and Adam are, like, the ones who were... Like, they talk about, oh, did you get, like, how did you do on your... Uh, biology test and she's like well i didn't want to dissect a frog and they made me and i said it was against my religion but i got a c anyway and they're like well how did you do on the math test after we studied so long for and it and she said she got an a and so as a reward um they get to like they float her around the house and sort of i guess possess her and sing <laughs> the same thing that they did with Deo. Different song. Right, but it's uh, Jump in the Line, also by Harry Belafonte. Yeah, there's a lot of Harry Belafonte music. Actually, in the opening scene, um, when Adam is painting his miniatures, he's playing Harry Belafonte in yeah. the background. Apparently, uh, he was the cheapest um, rights to get. Everybody <laughs> else so, was like... It's so good. Like it's I perfect. can't imagine this movie with any other music No, there. it's it's flawless. And so she's like floating around and like having a nice time. And she starts dancing, and there's like line of uh dead football players that we see at some point in the, yeah, in, the afterlife. Uh, in the afterlife office thing start dancing behind her with her yeah and then we see that Beetlejuice is in the waiting room for uh the afterlife office thing yeah and he tricks the guy next to him who's supposed to be like he's like a really bad stereotype of like a witch doctor yeah I guess and uh 
steals his number because he has four and Beetlejuice's number is like number nine million something. <laughs> and so then the uh, guy next to him shrinks his head. Yeah. And he's like, this could work for me. This could be a good look for me. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. And it's a fucking delight. Michael Keaton really is a show stealer I in mean, this. Unbelievably good. Every scene he's in, he just is like the life of the party. He's incredible. He's so much fun. I can't imagine anybody else playing this role. I feel like Beetlejuice would be a horrific person to like experience anywhere outside of a party, but he'd be an amazing party guest. Oh, for sure. For sure. Way too much in a one-on-one interaction. Yeah. But like... In a group setting. 12 other people? Sure. Like 30 other people. Yeah. You need a lot of buffer. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so like we said originally, this movie was first made by, um, or first written by a guy named Michael McDowell. Yeah, and this was a very different story. Yes, and so Michael McDowell was a horror writer, and he started off as a horror novelist. Um, and honestly, he sounds like the most fun goth dude I can yeah. possibly imagine. I kind of want to go read stuff by him now. Yes, because when he died, um, he so he collected death memorabilia, like... Um, death pins, photos, plaques, all that sort of weird, creepy shit. Um, when he died, he died in, uh, 99, unfortunately. Uh, Northwestern University acquired all of that, and they put it on display in 2013, and it filled over 76 boxes. So he oh was just, God. like, a weird goth writer genius who just had this house full of death stuff, which I love. I love. My God. Um, and one of those things actually included a series of 19th century French stereograph cards, which showed, like, devils doing different things around hell. And that was part of the inspiration for the brothel scene. Oh. Yeah. I read an interview with his partner, um, who is still alive or was still alive, um, a few years ago and kind of talked about the writing process of Beetlejuice, since obviously um, McDowell is no longer with us. So. And for the brothel scene, there's a scene where the, like, case worker, the agent Juno, shows up and, like, distracts Beetlejuice by, like, popping up a brothel. Yeah. In the miniature thing. He's like, Honestly, cool, I'm going to go Honestly, there's so much this. non-plot-related stuff that we didn't get to. Yeah, that, we couldn't like, cover everything. We really thing. gave you the basic, bare bones of this movie. It's so much weirder than we could ever like, express to every you. every <laughs> minute has something weird and cool going on. Like, in the death... Uh, the afterlife office thing. Like there's so many different characters and personalities that you meet there. It's really fun. It is a very fast paced movie. It does not give you any time to breathe and it's incredible. Yeah. Um, And by the time Beetlejuice was made, um, McDowell had already written, he'd written several horror novels and Stephen King actually described him as the finest writer of paperback originals in America today. What does that mean? Paperback originals? I just think it means like not, high class fancy books just like the books that get published straight to paperback and that makes sense just, i was know. just like i don't know if that's like a covert insult no i think that Stephen. well Stephen king was a friend of his okay and he wrote um he did the film adaptation of the Stephen king story thinner which i'm gonna be honest with you is a fucking terrible movie yeah. i don't know if that's I his fault i don't movie, think that but i think the uh book was weird too i feel like yeah we've talked so much about how hard it is to make a Stephen king book into a movie so one he's like already working against yeah and in terms of yeah it's not a good movie uh everyone seems to be trying in it but it's a very very bad movie um 
But he grew up on, uh, like, he read Lovecraft, um, which actually I read about this while I was doing research for this, that in the Cthulhu mythos, um, which is centered around the works of Lovecraft and similar writers, uh, which was published and fleshed out by a guy named August Derleth, so it's not actual Lovecraft, but it's based on Lovecraft's work, um, the star Betelgeuse is the home of the Elder Gods. Oh, interesting. So I don't know if that is just a weird coincidence. I'm guessing it's not. Or, yeah. I mean, I guess it shows up. There's also, like, I guess a story or a poem which describes Betelgeuse, the star, as being, like, the, the portal to hell. So there's, like, a fair amount of, like, horror literature history yeah. involving Betelgeuse to begin with. Um, and he also really liked Japanese and Chinese occult films because he liked, uh, as he put it, their way of treating the supernatural in a straightforward fashion in a way that Americans never quite get as a part of life. Which I think, he, I mean, you can see in Beetlejuice, like, okay, you die and then there's a thing after life and you have to, like, sit in your stupid waiting room and, like, you sometimes you just fall off a bridge and you die and then you have to deal with weird bullshit. That's kind of cool I mean, about The Grudge when we yeah. watched it because it's based on a Japanese movie. Yeah. And, uh... They're like, oh, yeah, this happens when people die. It's not like a, uh, they say, like, when people die in, like, a moment of extreme anger, they become, like, what they call the grudge in yeah. that movie. But it's very much like a, oh, yeah, this is, like, a straightforward thing that happens. It isn't a, um, like, oh, no, what happened? What are we dealing with? Right. You don't have to, like, put somebody's soul to rest or, yeah. like, a very grisly murder happened here. It's, like, sometimes people just die and it sucks. Very, and very grisly murder. I mean, that's true. Happen. <clears throat> and that is true. But it was, like, the people were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, so they lived in Bedford, Mass., um, him and his partner, Lawrence Senelik. Uh, and apparently they had these very annoying neighbors. And in the interview with Senelik um, for The Ringer, Senelik talks about that. Uh, um, and he talks about how spooky, few, spooky, <laughs> how, like, horror movies um, usually feature evil spirits who are preying on, like, the unsuspecting humans. Um and he was talking to McDowell, and he was like, well, what would the situation be if you had good ghosts, and it's the people who moved into the house who were awful, which is this movie. And then you can take it in the uh, extreme scary direction. Yeah. Make it the others. Which, honestly, kind of sounds like this movie would have been much closer in tone, to if it had it been, been a lot more similar to the others, just told from the ghost perspective. Yeah. Well, which I guess the, the, the others, others too, but you don't know that. Spoilers, the, the others is told from the ghost perspective. That movie came out in the early 2000s. <laughs> you should have seen it by now. Um, and he, McDowell moved to Hollywood or like moved. I don't think he's, he like went back and forth between Massachusetts and LA. Um, and he was working on Romero's, George Romero's Tales from the Dark Side. So he got into like some horror film and television stuff there. Um, and while he was there, he met a guy named Larry Wilson, who used to work for Paramount, um, and now at the, at the time that he met him was working for Pecos Productions. And they collaborated on Beetlejuice. They co-wrote it together. Um, and they were, like, pretty stoked about it. They thought it was pretty good and pretty fun and weird. Uh, and Wilson gave it to, gave the script to a universal executive he knew. And he, like, got a call into the guy's office a couple days later, and he was like, oh, this is great. Like, they read it right away, and they called us back already. Like, they must really love it. Like, this is going so well. Nope. And the executive said, uh, this is a quote by Wilson, he literally said, what are you doing with your career? This piece of weirdness, this is what you're going to go out into the world with? You're developing into a very good executive. You've got great, in, great taste in material. Why are you going to squander all that for this piece of shit? Which is quite the reaction. <laughs> Um, but Wilson didn't give up. He gave the script to a woman named Marjorie Lewis, uh, who worked at the Geffen Film Company, who gave it to her boss and was like, we need to make this movie and I'm going to quit if we don't make this movie. And so they were like, all right. Um, 
but I mean, there were a lot of rewrites even before they got a director attached to it. Yeah. And meanwhile, so as we mentioned, this was directed by Tim Burton. Yes. And so Tim Burton had a. Uh, He'd been working with some stop motion stuff. Um, yeah, he'd always been into filmmaking and animation. Yeah, and he was really good. Um, I mean, I was actually obsessed with the Frankenweenie, like the original Frankenweenie when yeah. I was really young. I thought it was great because it's about a little kid who like brings his dog back to life. Yeah. Which is also what the animated movie was, but it was live action, like the original Disney one. Mm. I love that. And it was stop black motion. and white. Oh, no. Uh, was there a real person? It was okay? a real person <gasps> and like a real dog. Oh my God. And it's all shot in black and white and it's like Holy a shit. short movie. Oh my God. I didn't know that. And it's really good. <gasps> and I was like super into it as a kid. Like I watched Frank and Weenie, like the original one all the time. And oh they God. redid it like as an animated, that's like kind of like a Coraline style. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's the visual I'm thinking of. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I, I had no idea. Find the original. Like, I'll just show you real quick. Cause it's so good. It's okay. So Maddie just showed me. A clip from the original Frankenweenie, which I had never seen before, and I am in love with it. It was so good. It was one of my favorite movies when I was, like, six. It is straight up, like, a beautiful homage to Frankenstein in a way I was not expecting. And then Disney saw it and fired him. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, this is fucked up. We make kids stuff. What are you doing? But luckily, uh, Paul Rubin saw it. And was like, this is fucked up. I make fucked up kids stuff. <laughs> and so uh, they were together for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Which, ironically, they showed on the Disney Channel all the time when I was growing up. I can see that more than something like... Beetlejuice, although I, Beetlejuice was also very much aimed at kids, because I feel like Pee-wee's Big Adventure is, like, not super scary, but there's definitely moments that, like, if they didn't like Frank and Weenie, why the fuck were they showing Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Like, yeah, the large March like, thing? they had, uh, I don't really remember much of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's, like, a little scary in places. Not, I do like, remember, all the that's way, all but, I like, really remember about it. Yeah. Um, but I just remember that it went from, like, Frank and Weenie, a short half-hour thing, we're gonna fire you, and then you go make something then Disney like shows and buys the rights to it does also sound like I know he was doing um concept art for the Black Cauldron at mm, one point and basically sense. all of his stuff was like unbelievably fucked up and they had to like bring in another to be fair you've seen The Nightmare Before them. Christmas and all yeah. that artwork like Disney really wanted to add um eyes to Jack Skellington like they wanted to give him like regular eyes no that and would he was be like, worse no let's keep it like they thought that like people wouldn't be wouldn't get attached to the character without having, like, the eyes. Based on the number of girls I went to middle school with who <laughs> outright wanted to have sex with Jack Skellington, oh, that is not what I happened. I learned that fact. Uh, I went to the Disney Animation Studio at Disneyland um, in California Adventure. You can actually learn to draw different characters when we did Jack Skellington. And they told us that story, and it was kind of cool. That is really funny. Which is funny, because I feel like he was trying to put eyes on everything. There's so many weird eye shit things. There are weird in eye things in this. Maybe just went the other way. We didn't even talk about when they like turn themselves into spooky, scary monsters and like no. take their eyes out and put them in their mouths and shit. Again, you can't. Even, I mean, just so much happens. There's in this so movie. many things. There's so movie. much that happens in this movie. Um, but Pee Wee's Big Adventure ended up doing really well. Yeah. And so studios started to see Tim Burton as like a marketable director. But it wasn't a critical hit. Like the critics did not like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. No, but it performed well right. enough. Right. Yeah. So he wanted to do Batman next. Yeah, that was his big thing. Is he's like, I want to do Batman, and the studios were like, No, 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 not not now, not yet. And so he's like, Okay, uh, what else is there for me to do? And so that's how he found the Beetlejuice script. Yeah, and apparently when he read it, he was like, I could have written this. Like, this is exactly my style. This is exactly what I want to do. Um, and so he accepted, and the studio assigned him, um, gave him a, a co-writer or a, a rewriter named Warren Skarin, who we talked about earlier. 
to kind of help fix it up because they, they had to make lot. a lot of changes. Yeah, like for one thing, it was really. I mean, it was way darker originally. Yeah, like um, in the beginning, when during the car crash, um, Barbara's supposed to have like lost one of her arms. Yeah, and actually, they reference that in the movie when you're watching. She says like, "Oh, my arm's so cold." Right, and so it's a reference to the original script in which she had lost her arm. Yeah, um, and it wasn't really funny. I mean, I guess it was like kind of funny, but not really. It was like more of like a scary B movie type situation. Yeah. Um, and also Beetlejuice was supposed to be like a winged demon who like loved to murder people. He was supposed to be based on like, um, like the djinn of like Middle Eastern yeah. uh, mythology. Yeah. He also didn't want to marry Lydia. No, no. He wanted to have sex with Lydia. Yes. But she was still a teenager. Yeah. That part was still the same. And in, at least in the, this version of it, he very clearly is like, we will. This will be a marriage of inconvenience. Neither of us wants to do this. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like predatory. It's no. like, hey, he likes it, like, her. Everything seems predatory that he does, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like pedophilic. Right. It seems more like not overtly. You could see it going in that direction, but they're not like he's gonna fuck her later. It's like, okay, it might be weird, and he might be a creepy person. You definitely don't want to be married to him. But he's creepy equally towards everyone, and it doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he like. There are no sexual tones. Right. He never makes any actual overtures towards her. That and there were actually originally two kids in the first script. Yes. That were combined into one for Lydia. And so um, there are moments in the movie where Barbara like calls Lydia like a little girl, um, but that she's also a teenager. And so like right. it's kind of a balancing act. And some of the reasons for that is because she originally was like, there was like a seven year old or something like that. Right. Who I believe Beetlejuice violently murdered in the original version. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and also at the end of the original version, Lydia died and got to live in the afterlife with the Maitlands. And the studio was like, um, we cannot have a suicidal teen successfully die at the end of the movie and then no. get everything that she wants because kids are going to kill can't themselves. do that. Like, that's fucked up. So they changed it. And then Tim Burton also really initially wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play Beetlejuice. Which is such an odd choice like i can see it working out really really well yeah but i would never if you were like come up with the other person like tell me right now who you think the other person that they wanted to play beetlejuice was i would never say sammy davis jr who else would you think would be a good beetlejuice um i don't know because now i'm just i'm thinking of just people who would play it like michael Michael Keaton. keaton i feel like in another universe tom hanks could have been a good beetlejuice but i don't I think at that point in his career, maybe he could have done the off-color thing. I don't think at this point, obviously, he couldn't, but... Interesting. You know? I would have to think about this. I'll have to ponder. Um, but David Geffen was like, no, we're not going to have Sammy Davis... David, we're not going to have Sammy Davis Jr. play Beetlejuice. We're going to have Michael Keaton play D- uh, Beetlejuice. And uh, Tim Burton was less on board, really, about it at first. Yeah, but he like went and he met with uh, um, Michael Keaton... Uh, and talk to him about it. And Michael Keaton was like, uh, I don't really get this, and I don't know what you're trying to do here, so I'm good. Like, I like you, but no thanks. But uh, they convinced him to take a second meeting, and there he got kind of convinced. Yeah, he says, um, I went home and I thought, okay, if I would do this role, how would I do it? You clearly don't create him from the inside out, meaning what motivates this guy is childhood or whatever. You work from the outside in. 
It turns out the character creates his own reality. I gave myself some sort of voice, some sort of look based on the words. Then I started thinking about my hair. I wanted my hair to stand out like I was wired and plugged in. And once I started getting that, I actually made myself laugh. And I thought, well, this is a good sign. This is kind of funny. And then I got the attitude. And once I got the basic attitude, it really started to roll. So uh, there's an interview that he does with Charlie Rose, um, where he basically talks about it and he like got a, a um, makeup artist and a costuming person to kind of make a weird outfit for him. And he liked the idea of him sort of being like existing in all times and places, which I, I guess is something that, yeah. that Tim Burton mentioned to him. And so he had this whole look and he wanted him to be a little bit moldy and he wanted him to have like the hair stuck out. Um, and so once he realized that he was going to have a lot of freedom to kind of do whatever he wanted to do as Beetlejuice, he was like, yep. I'm into it. And apparently that was kind of how it worked on the set. Like, there was a lot of improvisation. And he said you would just, like, show up and... Where's the quote? There's a quote that I like. You show up on set and just go fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. He said it was very cathartic. And then Angelica Houston was originally supposed to play Delia Dietz. I love that, but I feel like between that and her playing Morticia Adams, it would have kind of pigeonholed her. I mean, like, I don't know. Well, to be fair, this was pre-Adams Family. I know, but then, like, would she have passed Probably. on the Adams Family? And she was she so good She was amazing as Morticia Adams. Um, but she did get sick, so she couldn't take it, which is how Catherine O'Hara got in on it. Right, but she also originally passed on it. I also um, need to admit the fact that I forgot who Angelica Houston was, and in my mind was picturing um, Angela Bassett. I would... I mean, if there is an alternate universe in which uh, Angela Bassett played How Delia Dietz. How good would she be as Delia Dietz, My though? God. She would bring, like, I love Catherine O'Hara's, like, manic, insane lunatic energy that she brings to things. But, like, watching, like, the powerhouse that is Angela Bassett play, like, an unhinged New York sculptural artist <laughs> who is addicted to Valium and hates her husband would be She's amazing. so good. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then, but Catherine O'Hara actually ended up meeting her husband on set. Yeah, his name is Bo Welch. She was the production designer, and they've been married since 1992. So it worked out really well. Oh, I'm happy for them. They have, like, two kids. It's adorable. Um, Sylvia Sidney, who played Juno, was actually, so she was, like, a Hollywood, like, a Silver Age or a Golden Age Hollywood actress. Um, and so she was a hard sell on this one as well. But... Uh, Sorry, I just had this thought, and I was like, oh, how did she die? I wonder if they used the same way she died in that movie. And then I realized, oh, she had to be alive in that movie. <laughs> and just like, you guys, it's been a hell of a weekend. Oh, my God. I don't know why. Just like, wow. oh, they got her to play they a got ghost. got her ghost to play her ghost. Incredible. <laughs> God damn it, Maddie. <laughs> Who am I? Um, but I guess she liked working with Burton because she ended up working with him again on Mars Attacks. So, uh, Which is also a very fun and weird movie. It is also super strange. Um, and I mean, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin were like hella into this movie. Yeah, they did not take multiple visits. They like met with Tim Burton and they were like, yes, I want to be in that. That sounds amazing. They're also like the most lovable, wonderful characters in the entire thing. They are. Apparently Alec Baldwin, in retrospect, doesn't enjoy his performance in this movie, but I think he's wrong and it's great. He just seems so lovable. He just seems like pure and yeah. lovable. Yeah, which is not a vibe that he has ever given off since then. So obviously Keaton and uh, Burton ended up working well together because when Burton finally got to do his Batman, Keaton was his Batman. Yeah. And it's cute. It is cute. And also Warren Scarron also helped write Batman. So it was like a beautiful little, uh, there's something that when we were doing the Babadook, there was an article that Jennifer Kent talked about um, wanting to come up with like a little family of creatives that you can work with over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that is what, Tim Burton kind of has always done, where he, like, gets his crew, whether it's the actors, the designers. I just wish he'd pick a new crew at this point. 
Yeah, I feel like he's phasing out Johnny Depp. He good. And I think he's phasing in like... What has he done recently? Well, he did Dumbo, which brought back Michael Keaton. um, And that had Ava Green in it. So I I feel like maybe Ava Green... All right, because he also did Miss Peregrine's Home for Wayward Children or whatever peculiar children. Um, And she was one of the main characters in that. So maybe Ava Green is his new, like, pale brunette, spooky, scary lady. Wait, is Ava Green the one in Penny Dreadful? Yes. Oh, my God. She's She's so good. She's perfect to fill that opening. I love her so much. She is truly I didn't know who she was until Penny Dreadful. She is the most charming Bond girl ever. She's a Bond girl? She was in Casino Royale. She plays Vesper Lund or something. See, I didn't even know who she was, and now, like, I love her voice so much. Ava Green. She's incredible. Mostly when she's raspy and, like, sounds like she's dying because she she is constantly raspy and sounds like she's dying in Penny Dreadful because she is constantly almost dying. Well, there you go. Good reason. That explains it. Um, so it did, uh, this movie got pretty mixed reviews when it came out. I still feel like if you talk to people, they feel mixed. They either like love it or hate it. And that's another it. one of those movies. And I feel like we talked about this with Jacob's Ladder and we talked about this with Alien. On the one hand, there's, there's a comment that I read in like about the development part of it where everybody wanted to own it, but nobody wanted to make it. Sometimes this stuff is just too weird for people. Like, sometimes if a movie is doing something on screen, whether the pushback is coming from the producers or the studio or the audiences or the reviewers or whoever it is, sometimes it's just too much for people. And I can understand why this movie is too much for some people. I definitely can see that. There's, like, a lot going on the entire time. I think it is an unbelievably great movie. It's really fun. But it is a lot, and it is hard to keep track of everything that is going on. Um, for example, Gene Siskel, his review in the Chicago Tribune, called it an overly ambitious special effects comedy obviously influenced by the success of Ghostbusters, which I think is funny because I did not think about Ghostbusters one time while I was watching this movie. How long before this did Ghostbusters come out? Ghostbusters came out in 1984. Okay, so I can understand, like, okay, it's spooky, okay, it's a comedy, it's kind of weird... You have, like, the uh, the guy in the glasses that Tim was for Halloween last year. Yeah. Um, the, the, the key, the key master. master. Yeah. yeah. You have him, and he's kind of, like, the nerdy guy who's a creepy-ass ghosty person. Yeah, but he's not a ghost. I, I don't know. He's it's not just, a ghost, but he gets yeah. possessed by one, kind of. The point is that, like, it's a horror comedy, and there had been a ton of those... I guess. But I yeah. definitely didn't think Ghostbusters when watching this either. No, I didn't at all. And I think it's funny that, I mean, you know, maybe again, it's being in that time frame and you've seen Ghostbusters. Of course, obviously, Gene Siskel had seen Ghostbusters. He's a famous movie reviewer. So, like, I can get if you have all of that in your head thinking that way. But, I mean, I've seen Ghostbusters and I talk about horror movies a lot and it did not occur to me. I think I probably saw Beetlejuice before I saw Ghostbusters, though. I definitely did. Yeah. I didn't see Ghostbusters until a few years ago. Wait, really? Yeah. Who I never see it when I was a kid. I know. Um, but then other people, like, they liked that it was fucking weird and crazy. And uh, Glenn, Glenn Kenny from the New York Times said that Beetlejuice made weird look cool. It bridged the cultural gap between the cult movie and the studio movie, making a genre movie quirkiness acceptable to the mainstream. And this was 100% on purpose. Like, we talked about how there's a million dollars dedicated to special effects, but they were all dedicated to making, like, stop-motion campy effects that wouldn't look real. Right. Because, like, when Burton made this, he very specifically wanted to make it look like a campy B-movie. Because if you try and make this movie and this script, but make it look like 
real or make it look like serious or anything like that. It's no. just not going to go well. And I think that that's something that in his better movies, Tim Burton does an incredible job of at sort of like bridging that gap between something that looks so artificial, but then like, I don't like his this characters are fun. And this is definitely the campiest, but you even seen it in some, you even see it in something like, um, Edward Scissorhands, where like there is a very like the big fucking mansion up on yeah, the it, it hill. It very much feels like a fantasy tale, like a, a like a fairy tale. Yeah, and then he uses those bright colors and the dark, spooky stuff so well together. And I think that like his run in like the eighties and early nineties was the perfect, perfect encapsulation of that. I think it struggled as he's gotten more into CGI. Do you want to hear a fun uh, Tim Burton story? Yes. So in third or fourth grade, um, I was I must have been fourth grade. I was at this after-school care um, run through my school, the school district or whatever, um, and the people who were taking care of us, they talked to me, and they're like, Maddie, uh, we're trying to figure out, like, what rating of movies we're allowed to show you guys. Um, like, what rating of movie does your parents let you watch? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure, but we watched Sleepy Hollow last night, which is an R-rated movie. Yeah, that movie is not for children. It is not, but I saw it when I was, like, eight or nine. To be fair, it isn't that bad. Fine. My parents didn't let me watch scary shit or, like, anything inappropriate until I was, like, older. And I think it made me weirder. That's possible. I think that you ended up normal and relatable. I I was just seeing a... Oh, God, who is the creepy mom in Sleepy Hollow? Oh, gosh. Baby Johnny Depp, though. Yeah, oh, my God. He was so young. And young Christina Ricci. Young Christina Ricci. Loved her. Yeah. Um, But obviously, despite mixed reviews, Beetlejuice was a huge hit. Um, We talked about how well it did at the box office. But it also, like, spawned. I mean, there was toys. There's an animated series. There's video games. uh, There's that musical that apparently is awful. Yeah, I've heard horrible things. There's also, they keep talking about maybe doing a sequel. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Winona Ryder seems very confident that it will happen. But, like... It's probably not going to. So there's this weird trend right now of all the sequels that are like... I guess. Let's make a sequel to a really old movie. Uh, Like, they're making, like, the Top Gun sequel now. Yeah. I guess maybe if it's gonna happen, it could happen now. But I still am not getting the hooks up. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if... Because we're not going to have young, hot Alec Baldwin, which means we're not going to have any Alec Baldwin. That's because, true. Because, like, we can't have old Alec Baldwin. No, he's a ghost. Age. It would he's have to be a totally different story. Michael Keaton would obviously have to be back on it. And, but I feel like I trust Michael Keaton to step away from something if it's going to be bad. That's true. That's what think- he did with Batman 3. They cut Tim Burton, and he was like, fuck this, I'm out of here, it's going to be terrible. They, they kept working on the script, and he was like, this movie sucks, and I don't want to do it. So Yeah. I trust him. But I hope, I, I don't know, I kind of hope that they don't. I like it when something is good and great and gets to stay the way that it is and be left behind. I do also think that, like, I understand why this movie in the original form could have really been, like, a real horror movie. Yeah. Because if you think about it, um, we do talk a lot about haunted house movies. We've reviewed, like, The Conjuring. We've talked about um, The Amityville Horror. And... Again, it's always seen from, like, the people in the house's perspective. They have this thing that's scaring them. And so in this, we see it from the perspective of the people who are scaring them. And then we get to see this other, even scarier thing. So we see all these movies about, like, what scares us. We see a movie from their perspective about what scares them. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. That is cool. And I think, yeah. I mean, I I do think it could have been really cool. But I kind of question how memorable it would have been. It wouldn't have been Beetlejuice. Right. It wouldn't have been anywhere near the cultural phenomenon. But it could have been kind of a cool movie. It could have been. I'd yeah. like to see that movie made now. Yeah. Not related to Beetlejuice, but just a, a, a rough variation on the same concept. No rape. No rape. 
preferably. Just keep that out of there. We yeah. don't need that. No one needs that. Um, all right. Well, I think that about does it for Beetlejuice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a really fun little Halloween movie. It's I definitely great. bought it on Amazon Prime just so that way I could uh, own it and watch it all of the time. That's honestly a really smart move. I rented it, but I probably should have just bought it. Um, it was $8 if you bought it. And it was $4 to rent it. And I was like, well, I see this movie again. Yeah. Probably. Um, and we will see you in two weeks when we will be talking about The Descent. It's a really fun kind of vampire cliffy not cliffy it's a really fun vampire cavey dark scary movie with a bunch of kick-ass women most of whom die i already know that it's gonna set off my claustrophobia in a very oh, major way because i do very not like movie. small spaces i do not like caves i'm not interested in that but i am really excited to see this movie because i've never seen it before i got locked in a closet once on a cruise ship um, great. Well, thanks so much, guys. We will talk to you soon. Enjoy the spooky holidays. Have fun. Be safe. Eat uh, lots be of safe candy. with your partying. Please eat, be careful. Eat lots of candy. Drink no Beetlejuice. Leave those people in your ghost home alone. <laughs> All right, guys. Have fun. Be safe. We'll talk to you later. Um, we love you. Teach Farewell. You well. Mwah. <laughs>